Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The Bible's the only book that's ever accurately foretold the future. So if any book in the world is going to tell me where I go when I die, it's going to be the Bible. If the Bible's the only book, more than a thousand times the Bible has said, this is going to happen in the future, and it happens every single time. And the few things that haven't happened yet, the stage is set for them to happen. There ain't no other book like that. There is no other religious writing that has that credential to it where it's foretelling things accurately over and over and over again. It haven't been changed. And so if it was false about anything, it would have been found out. Do you trust the Bible? Pastor Bill reasons with us today that the prophetic accuracy of the Bible testifies of its truthfulness. For example, the Old Testament has over 320 prophecies about Jesus, describing his birth, his life, and death, which all came true. Because the Bible has proven accurate, we can know what will happen in the future. God declares the end from the beginning. He spoke in ancient times of things that have not happened yet. Let's trust in God's excellent word. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Anybody had somebody try to minister to you that weren't walking in a sincere faith themselves? Kind of powerless, you know, kind of ineffective. Um, I remember at once in my life having somebody who was addicted to alcohol themselves tell me, what, lecture me, as a matter of fact, why I shouldn't drink. And I remember how that met me, you know, as a teenager. I'm listening to somebody who's, you know, you, you get drunk too. Right. Telling me why I shouldn't get drunk. And it, it didn't minister. It didn't. I didn't. I didn't hear it and say, for real. Oh, I, you, thank you so much. I just I just heard them like, man, you know, you, I, they could have just shut up. That's how it they could have saved all them words. It didn't minister to me. Um, it, it wasn't very helpful. It just it, it was annoying, as a matter of fact. And so that's what the the Christian that's not living the life, but that's speaking the life. That's how you taste to other people. They're like, I wish you would just shut up, you know. But, you know, you, we do know people that are living a sincere faith, right? And they speak to you. You have to hear, right? The guy that led me to the Lord, that was why I gave ear to him, because I saw that there was a sincere faith. I saw when he got saved. I saw the turnaround. I saw him stop drinking, stop fornicating, marry the girl he was with. Like, I saw his life go wham. And so when he's speaking to me, I couldn't throw his life in his face. So I had to listen. Everybody else I knew that was supposedly Christian that would start speaking to me, I could throw their life in their face. You know, I would just, I'd be having it right here, a handful of their life to throw back at them. Wham, oh, oh, but that's, don't you got a girlfriend? Y'all just, y'all celibate, for real, for real? Nah, you know, just wham, throw it back at them, tell me nothing, you know? I had some of my family when I was, um, you know, I, when I, before I got saved, I lived with a girl that wasn't married, um, and they would say, you shouldn't be shacked up. And I'm like, I said, as a matter of fact, you shacked up three times that I know of, you know, you just aren't shacked up right now. So right now that you single, I shouldn't shack up. And that's I remember saying this back to his aunt that was, you know, she was feeling herself one day and told me I shouldn't be shacked up. And it was like not not very effective and <laughs> just not not hearing what you got to say. So Paul is giving Timothy some very important things. I want you to do these things. I want you to charge them this. I don't want you giving heed to bad doctrine. But he said, I want you to be in a certain place when you do it. The purpose of the commandment. Right. It's love. You love these people. And it's love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and a sincere faith that that you've received these things first. And out of love for them, out of a pure conscience, 
a pure heart, out of a, 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 out of a place of, of living it yourself, sincere faith yourself, that you can minister these truths very effectively. Verse six, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. And that's what happens when you stray away from the truth. Uh, you enter into something just idle, empty. And so some that have strayed from this have ended up in a place where they're where they've turned aside. And the word turned aside, it means they've turned away from the truth to this empty talk over here. And um, I've seen that happen before as a believer where somebody seemed to be doing so good in their walk and they get turned aside. There's some empty discussion over here. And there, there are even some doctrines that people get into that seem to suck the life out of the believer. They become all about this over here. Um, they just get turned aside from a sincere faith and, and a pure heart and a good conscience to, to doing those things. And so we want to be so careful about our own lives. Verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And so these teachers, as they were wanting to mix up the gospel with the law, Paul said, man, they don't even they don't know what they're teaching. They don't even understand what they're teaching or what the things that they are affirming. And I always think that's interesting. There, there, there are people that don't know very much, but they want to be teaching other people. Like the guy at the gas station. That guy wanted to teach me. Um, but there are so many things for which there was no solid answer. You know, well, I believe that when we die, we go here. How do you know that? How do you know that? Give me, I want something concrete. How do you know that? You're teaching me this. How do you know? Where did you get that information from? Well, everybody knows. No, no, everybody, everybody knows it's not a good answer for me. How do you know? Where do I find this at? How do I confirm these things? And then he throws it back. Well, how do you know? Because Jesus died and rose and came back again. Where'd you get that from? I got that from the Bible. How do you know the Bible's the word of God? The Bible's the only book that's ever accurately foretold the future. So if any book in the world is going to tell me where I go when I die, it's going to be the Bible. If the Bible's the only book, more than a thousand times the Bible has said, this is going to happen in the future, and it happens every single time. And the few things that haven't happened yet, the stage is set for them to happen. There ain't no other book like that. There is no other religious writing that has that credential to it. Where it's foretelling things accurately over and over and over again. It haven't been changed. And so if it was false about anything, it would have been found out. It just keeps being found out true over and over again. I had a buddy that just got back from Israel and he just getting back from Israel. Constantly, if you go to Israel, they're, they're digging and they're digging and excavating, you know, trying to find where certain things took place. And do you know where they look to to get the information? The Bible. Even non-believers, even archaeologists that are not believers in the Bible say that the Bible is correct archaeologically, as far as its archaeology, where it says things took place. And they'll take the Bible and search it out, find the region, start digging, and they find the stuff right there where the Bible said it happened. They can't say that about the Quran. They can't say that about any other of the Eastern religions, no other spiritual writings, just the Bible. So I feel like our, our faith is solid and it's in something solid, which is the word of God. Amen. And so moving forward now, verse eight, it says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And let me just go back up. There's quite a list here. But first of all, he says that the law is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing and the law has its place. What does the law do? We know from other places that the law is a schoolmaster 
to help bring us to Christ. The law is not something for us to be brought under as believers. What the law does is show the non-believer that you're a non-believer. And so um, a lot of people use in their sharing of the gospel. Um, if you look at Ray Comfort, the way that he does evangelism, he uses the law in his presentation of the gospel. And I think it's effective when you're speaking to someone that's not saved, but they think that they're good enough for heaven. Um, then the law is great for that. A lot of people that I run into that aren't saved, they know they bad. You know, you talk to them, it's like, man, do you, do you believe that the way you're living? No, no, I know I wouldn't, you know? So that's most people. Every once in a while, you find that weird guy or that girl that's like, no, I think, I think my good deeds outweigh my bad. Really? Let's break out the law. <laughs> Just break out the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Have you ever lusted? Yes. Have you ever stolen some bubble gum, stuff from work? Yes. That makes you a liar, adulterer, thief at heart. Uh, how do you stand on judgment day? That's, that's, a, that's a summation of that, that form of you wouldn't make it, right? If you've broken one law, you've broken them all. You've admitted that you broke at least three. You would go straight to hell without Jesus. And so some people need the law to help them to see that, man, I, I, wow, I thought I was pretty good. Because what we typically do as human beings so that we can feel better, right? If you're, let's say you're just a fornicator. I'm just a fornicator, but I'm not a homosexual, right? We just, we just try to find a layer that, you know, but I'm not that, right? You know, I mean, I get, I've been drunk before, but I don't smoke crack, you know? I smoke crack, but I don't kill nobody, you know? I kill people, but I didn't eat them afterwards, you know? We just, you just bring the bar as far down as you can go where it's like, I'm not that bad. And so God just brings it back and says, look, look, the standard is Jesus, which is perfection. And if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And so if you don't know you bad, then the law will help you to come to grips and say, wow, I think I've broken all those. And the ones that I didn't break, the way Jesus broke them down, I broke those too. I've never killed anybody. Jesus, have you ever hated someone without cause? Oh, you're a murderer. Oh, man. I've never committed adultery. Faithful to my wife. Have you ever lusted at a woman? Adultery in your heart. Oh, I mean, then where do you stand? At the end of the way, Jesus break down the law. If you wasn't guilty of physically doing it, you're guilty in your heart. You need Jesus, every single one of us. Amen. And so the law has its place. It isn't for you after you get saved to be put under. The law has its place up front. Help you see. Do you see that you need Jesus? Do you see why you need him so bad? Do you see why you need a perfect sacrifice? Do you see why Jesus and his perfection and his holy? Do you see why we need him? Absolutely. And so that's why we worship and that's why we look to him. That's why we that's why we need him, because we've not we're not perfect in of ourselves. Now, this list is interesting. I'm going to read through it again and I'm going to highlight a few things. Um, verse nine, again, it says the law is not made for the for a righteous person, but it's for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinner and for the for the unholy and the profane. And then he starts listing out some sins. And I'm just going to point them out. Murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. We've seen that in our people that have killed their own parents. Manslayers, people that have killed other people. Fornicators, those that are having sex with someone with whom they're not married. Um, fornicators, sodomites, that's homosexuals. Um, for kidnappers, um, for liars, for perjurers, those that are lying under oath. And, if they're, and he said, look, if that list doesn't find you on it. If there's anything else that's contrary to sound doctrine too, anything else like these things. So you might be looking and saying, well, my, my sin's not on that list. <laughs> it is on that list. Anything else covers a whole lot. Anything else that's contrary to sound doctrine. If that's what you're doing as a lifestyle, you need Jesus. You need his forgiveness. Now, this is the beautiful thing, right? That Jesus would make himself available to all those people on the list. Jesus would say to the fornicator, I'd save you. 
To the murderer, I'd save you. To the murderer of his mother, the murderer of their father, I'd save you. To the fornicator, to the homosexual, I'd save you. To the liar, to the person that perjured, to all, God, I'd save you. That's what he would do for everyone on this list. Jesus would save you if you would come to him. If you would come to him believing in him, it would result in repentance of those things. This is the version of Christianity that, that's just a problem. There are those that would say, I want to continue to do the things listed and still be okay. Uh, I want to continue to be a fornicator, a liar, an adulterer, but I want to be okay over here. And God says, no, 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 the, I, the law is to help you see how bad those things are so that you would repent and you'd look to me for forgiveness and salvation. And I would forgive you when you looked at me and I would save you when you believed in me. He would do it. But you don't get to have it both ways, right? You don't get to continue in this list um, where the law is showing you how bad if you die in those things, you have died on the wrong side of God, right? The law has fulfilled its purpose in showing you that. Jesus said, but I fulfilled my purpose in dying for it already. I died for that. I died for every one of your sins that you've ever done. All my sins that I committed when I, when I didn't know the Lord, Jesus died for them. He took them upon himself. He took my guilt, my shame, my punishment, everything I deserved from God. Jesus endured it on the cross and says, as you believe in me, Bill, forgiveness, complete forgiveness. I've washed away all of your sin. You'll never be penalized for all those things that you did because of what I did, because I died for you. Completely off the hook, completely set free because of Jesus. And so why do we worship him? Because of that. Why do we love him? Because of that. Why will we serve him? Because of that. He's done for me what no one else could do. He's done that for us. And for everybody else that's here that's a believer, you know what your sins are and were. And Jesus has died for you. He took it upon himself to forgive you, to cleanse you, to wash you, to renew you so you can have a clear conscience. Right. I don't have to think back at the stuff I used to do and still feel guilty. God says, if I've forgiven you, you're forgiven. You can have a clean conscience now. You can have a pure heart now. Someone that's had a vile, wicked, nasty, perverse heart. God says, in me, you can have a pure heart because I'll renew you in me. I'll make you a new person in me, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I give you brand new life in me. Jesus does that for us. And so I wanted to real quickly, as, I, as again, as I look at that list and I realize that I just want to point out a, a section of scripture in 1 Corinthians. You can write it down in your notes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a group that some of these same things are listed. And uh, Paul is acknowledging here in 1 Corinthians 6 how that they were washed and sanctified and justified and set apart for God. And I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, again, those having sex that aren't married, or idolaters, or adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. People living like that will not die and go to heaven when it's all said and done. They won't. But look at this, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so Paul points out there that, hey, all that list, such were, so he was looking at the church in Corinth and saying, hey, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, been washed. Our sins have been washed away. We've been justified, made just in God's sight. We've been sanctified, set apart by God for a purpose now. God, that's what I've done for you. Though you used to be that, this is what I've done with you. And so, again, when we understand the gospel correctly, 
um, it really gives great glory to Jesus and what he's done for us, doesn't it? Doesn't it cause us to look at Jesus and what he's done and just say, man, God is so good. Um, for me, and, and I believe that's why, you know, people are going for it. That's why we're called to share the gospel. That's why it's good news, right? Some people preach the gospel like bad news. You need to come to Jesus. You need to stop drinking and stop fornicating, and we just give them all of that. That's not good news, right? That's a bad presentation of the gospel. Telling someone that doesn't have the power to stop doing something, they need to stop doing it. What you need to tell them is, look, you, you, you like that? You enjoy that. That's fun. I used to enjoy that too, because you did. I, some Christians forget. They, some Christians act like, I, I, like, like you didn't like doing it when you were doing it. You drank this weekend? <gasps> like you're appalled. Like you didn't love it when you was doing it, right? And so it's, it's not a bad presentation of the gospel when we act like you, you did what? Oh, yeah, you look like, like a UFO just came over. Oh, you did that? Oh, no, God help you. You know, it, it's, it's good news when we present it correctly, right? Right, I understand you did that. I used to do some stuff too, but look, right? This is now the law, right? Do you know if you keep living that way? I know it's enjoyable for a season, but do you know if you die in that state, right? This is what the Bible says. God has laws. God is, God is just, right? You will go to hell, right? That's the, your sin. The wage of your sin is death. That's what it will cost you. But I got some good news for you, right? This is what God will do. God wants to cleanse you. God wants to forgive you. God, Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin to take it away. And the non-believer is sitting there saying, but I don't think I can stop. That's what I told the guy that led me to Christ. I don't think I can stop. I don't think I can stop drinking. I don't think I can stop chasing girls. I'm, I'm, I don't think I can do it, right? I'm not saved yet. I don't have the spirit of God in me yet. There's, there's never been anything internally in me that didn't want to do that. So I'm saying, I don't think I can do it, but I don't want to go to hell. And my buddy did, I love what he did for me. He said, just come to Jesus now because you're going to go, so you don't want to go to hell, receive Jesus then. Let's start there. And he didn't explain this to me, but I learned this later, right? The Bible says that God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When does that start? After you get saved. It's after I got saved that I was like, man, I feel dirty when I do that. I want to stop it. Man, I feel convicted about that. I want to stop it. And the work of sanctification where internally you start to not want to do the things that you used to love to do because God is on the inside making you sick of it. Um, but telling someone that doesn't have that at work on the inside to do it, it's almost unfair. It's not even right. It's a wrong way to preach the gospel to somebody. So when we find somebody smoking dope, fornicating, homosexual, living in sin, whatever it might be, we want to present to them the good news. And the good news does entail some bad news. If you die like that, you would go to hell. But, but there's good news. Right? This is what Jesus has done for you. But, but what do I do with all this? You know, you, you just come. Right? You come. Enter in, let the Lord work on that. Let him deal with that. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose? Do you believe that much? Come then, come to him. Come for forgiveness, come for salvation, come for renewed life. Let him begin to work on those other things because he'll do it, right? It's impossible that he would come inside and live in you and leave all that stuff in place. He'll start shaking things up. He'll start cleaning out your closets and God will begin to work on us from the inside out. That's what he does. Um, the last verse, we're ending with verse 11 today. So the last thing it said in verse 10 was in any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I just want to point out that he says the gospel is a glorious gospel. The gospel is a wonderful thing. And this is the in his first chapter, he's dealing with the, the, the church and its message. The message was always being messed up by other people, different religious groups coming in and muddying up the water. And so. What I'm 
believing in what I believe God wants to do for us. As we go through First Timothy, God wants us as a church to be very clear what the message is. The message of the gospel. Um, as we go through the word chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that we would understand doctrine clearly. That we wouldn't be those that are misled and swayed by all of the things that are out there. That we would be aware that there's false stuff out there. That we'd be aware of it. That we, we wouldn't get wrapped up in it. I, I do want to put this before us. Um, as we listen to this chapter, Paul is ministering to Timothy about um, making sure that we got our message cleaned up, making sure that we got the, the gospel correct, um, that we're not being misled by fables and all these different things. And he lists out all these different sins. I'm never going to take for granted that I'm sitting in a room full of saved people. Um, maybe you're here as a believer. And for you, the encouragement is that God wants you to also be bold and step out. And God wants you to be more active with the gospel. I'm going to challenge us. I encourage you guys that uh, we went out yesterday door to door through the community here, just knocked on people's doors and walked in houses. It was a blessed time. Uh, we had some great encounters and great interactions and, you know, went into people's houses and prayed over sick people and uh, ministered hope and truth to people and talked to people in the street. And I, I just would encourage you guys that it wouldn't be something that we do where we're going to go out to do it, though we'll do that from time to time, but that that would be just a way of life for us. As you're somewhere and you're around people that you'd be thinking of, God, how, how can I get up in this conversation for you? How can, I, how can I get something said for you in this? And so for some of us, as Timothy is being charged, Paul said, I charge you, Timothy, to do this. Um, this is going to be your role as a minister of the gospel. This is going to be what God's calling you to do. Um, that we would also realize that God's charging us. Right. In 2 Corinthians 5, God says, look, you guys are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through you. For people to be reconciled to God. We got to remember that, that God says, look, I'm not coming back until I come to receive the church for myself. I'm ministering through you. And so as yielded as we are, um, if we're very yielded, God can do a lot through us. If you're not yielded at all, then God can't do anything through you. And my prayer is that we would be people through whom God could do much through. Amen. That we would just be yielded. And we would just die to ourselves. God, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care if I don't have the answers. I don't care if they think I'm weird. I'm going to just go for it and just see what you do through my life. Let's let the Lord have his way. For some of us, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to commit ourselves to letting him have his way in our lives in that way. And then, again, maybe you're here and you, listen, you look at that list of ongoing sins for which God says, you continue in that, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will not go to heaven living that lifestyle, continuing in that particular sin and so if there's sin that you've said to God, I'm not, I'm not willing to give this up. I'm loving and loving I'm, I, because I love you, because I care about you. I'm calling you today. I'm saying, hey, you know that you, you're sitting here saying, I know God has spoken to me many times about this. And maybe I've never said no, God. But in my behavior, I've said, no, God, you won't be Lord of this area. I'm inviting you today to repent, to let the Lord come in, to experience his forgiveness, his power, his strength. Uh, that whatever that thing is that's that's holding you back from him, that it could be left today, could be let go today, that you wouldn't continue to let anything hold you back from him. Anyone that's ever held back from Jesus loses. And the example I always think of in scripture is a rich young ruler who said, God, Jesus, you know, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus said, hey, go take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy said, mm, no, nah, I got too much stuff. And he didn't. And his his story in the Bible ends right there. He said, no, nah, I can't do it. I love my stuff too much. Well, he died with his stuff and probably went to hell having had a lot of stuff. Can't take his stuff to hell with you. But he said, no, I'm going to keep my stuff. And so 
maybe you got something that you said, no, I'm going to keep this. I'm, I'm inviting you today to say, God, change my mind. I give it to you. Thank you for joining us today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're so glad you took the time to be here. Pastor Bill is diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to the young pastor with words of wisdom on how to lead. Paul taught Timothy to serve in humility by sharing his own story of salvation. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is no quicker antidote to pride than to look at who you were when Jesus found you. As you guide people to Jesus, remember where you were and be open with your story. The world doesn't need a perfect leader. It needs humble people to lead them to the Savior. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Did you want to hear more from Pastor Bill or listen to today's message again? You can find today's message and many others on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to do some deeper study for yourself, we have a daily Bible reading plan you can join in on with us. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back right here next time for more in the book of 1 Timothy on A Transforming Word.